welcome into the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Starr. We got Michael Schwartz here of ESPN Stats and Info. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing fantastic. We we got a, less than a week till the draft. It's on Thursday. The Suns for the first time in NBA history have the number one pick. Um, but first off, how excited were you that first uh, time you heard that they got the number one pick in the draft lottery? Yeah, I was pretty thrilled. I mean, it's something that everyone on Suns Twitter seemed to think was inevitable that they'd fall to number four. So um, I was honestly almost just happy to make it past the commercial to be guaranteed a top three pick. And then once it was Hawks and then Kings, yeah, I was pretty ecstatic. Yeah, I mean, the Suns have dropped, what is it, like the last five years or something? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. They were in they were 13 for what was a decade, and then they then they finally get in the lottery, the high lottery, and they drop every year right when there's good people right where they needed to be. And then this year, hey, we don't have a consensus number one pick. Let's have the Suns be the number one draft pick. It's perfect. But I don't think it's a bad problem because it's it's better than a year when there isn't a number one pick. I would say there's almost two number one picks there. Or so or five. Or five, yeah. So definitely, I mean, are you are you would agree with me? I forget if you're on Twitter. Um, which, well, first let's plug your Twitter so everybody can know it right now and later. What's your Twitter? At at Schwartz Center M. Schwartz Center M. Okay, definitely check that check that out. Um, he does the good stuff. He knows he knows what's happening in the NBA here. Um, are you on with me of trade next year's pick for like in wherever you can to move up and do anything? No question. 100% on board. From what you've heard and what I've heard, next year's pick draft is not great. And Correct. The Suns, hopefully, the whole point is them being aggressive is that they're going to be better next year. So what do you want to keep keep pick the pick 12th in a bad draft next year? Or get rid of it to try to not pick 12th if, even if you had it? Yeah, uh, there's no question about that. And even from the fact that you kind of have enough young guys now. Um, you've got your core of, you know, 20 to 22 year old players. And there's not a huge need for uh, someone else in that age range, especially if they're able to get two high impact guys this year. So yeah, without question um, on top of that, like you said, it's supposed to be a weak draft. The only slight hesitation is that the odds are going to be flatter. So um, you can, you have a better chance of moving up if you are eight, nine, something like that. And on the flip side, a lower chance of staying up top if you're one, two, three. So that's the one slight bit of hesitancy. But overall, when you look at where the team is, I'm trading that pick in a heartbeat. I'd even consider making it completely unprotected or top one protected just to really make it enticing for a team that had the worst record in the NBA this year. Oh, absolutely. What Michael was talking about is the commissioner has a, there's a new system in place for the draft, like he said, where um, instead of the top three teams being having a chance at the uh, or the top three lottery odds, whoever gets selected there to be the best chance. Uh, it's a much more broader section of things. If you want to explain that a little bit more than I did. I yeah. Know. Well, the one thing is right now only the you only have a lottery for the top three picks. Next year it'll be for the top four picks. So that means even if you have the best record, you could fall all the way down to number five. And also I believe one, two, and three all would have a 14% chance at the number one pick. As we know, Suns this year had a 25% chance. Two, I believe, was 19.9, and three, 15.6. So um, it's a little bit flatter, and the, the teams that are, like I said, six, seven, eight, will have a better chance of moving up into that top four than they did this year. So, um, again, that's just one more reason. It, it was a good year to have the worst record in the league. It sure was, and uh, I hope that Booker can get off of his little – obviously, they were sitting sometimes, but he was injured a lot this year. Um, if he can be healthy next year with this core, that'd be great. Let's move on to kind of, so we were talking about the draft and all this moving up and stuff. Um, today was kind of floated this thing. I kind of got into it of the, the Memphis Grizzlies at number four are looking to maybe move, if they can, they'll trade that pick if they can move Chandler Parsons' $23 million contract. Chandler Parsons barely played the last two years because he's been so injured. What do you think about that in general? We'll get into specifics. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I would throw this whole kitchen sink. I saw your tweets. I would throw even more at that. If, if the Suns can land Doncic and one of these big men, whether it's Aiton, Bamba, Jackson, uh, really doesn't matter almost. If they can do that and solidify a core of those two guys with Booker, 
Jackson and Bender and have that be your starting five of the future, I would be all in. I wouldn't care almost what picks. I'd obviously hope to keep the Miami pick. Um, my personal offer would be Chris, um, Chandler, Warren, 16-31 this year, Suns unprotected pick next year, and the Milwaukee pick, which I know is it's a lot, but I feel like that's almost what it would take to, to get it done, to actually move up and um, and make this happen. Yeah, I was doing the, the trade machine stuff because I was, as I was tweeting, there's two parts to every trade. There's the value part. Can you get the other team to accept it? And then the NBA part, does it actually work in within the CBA rules? I think I just looked it up. It's 125% salary plus 100K coming back. So the max that can either go out or come back and land with the other team is that much. And I don't think, I don't know if what you said can do it because I think I feel like you have to. It does because yeah, because Warren's in a weird spot since um, his contract doesn't go into effect until July. Um, it's a poison pill thing, so it's kind of between what he's making now and what his average salary will be on the new contract. So it's not the full um, what is it four fifty? It's not the full say twelve and a half that it would be. It's a little bit lower than that. But it's about uh, three million where he's like barely even helpful to, to add in there. Right, but it's yes, but it's more than that. I think it was because um, yeah, I was playing around in the trade machine today too. It was something in the eight to ten range. Yeah, because that what I tried was a simple version of a Dudley Chandler for Parsons in terms of the, the contract. Sure, throw as many picks that, as you can at it. So, yeah, that works too. As you probably know me, I'm like throw Chris in there. I don't really care because uh, if you're a bender and you want Dudley, you need, you need veterans to play. Like if you have, yep. you have to develop, if you, I kind of have this mantra, I haven't fixed the perfect wording for it, but. If you have to develop a lot of draft picks, then none of them are going to pan out. If you have to develop Booker, obviously he's good, but you have to still develop Booker, Jackson, the two picks this year, like next year, you're going to not be able to develop that guy at all, no matter how good he is, almost. Right, no question. And then by that point, you'll be looking for veterans more so. So um, I agree the 2019 pick doesn't matter a ton to me. Uh, the, the 2021 Miami pick might be what the kind of sweetener that's needed instead of that. Um, the one thing with Memphis, uh, they owe Boston their pick next year. It's top eight protected. So they might, uh, granted, um, if, if they think they're going to be better and not be in that top eight, they might want to actually have a pick next year, even though, like we said, it's not supposed to be the best draft. And, um, the big thing is that their owner said they think they can be a 50 win team this year. So you'd think that if they make this move, they'd be looking to win now. Um, Frankly, I think they'd be almost insane to trade the number four pick in this draft, especially where they're at, their market, and um, their the contract situation with their stars. If if they could get Luka Doncic, I think that's exactly what Memphis should do. But hey, if if they wanna if they wanna do something crazy, I'd be happy to help them out. Yeah, I was saying. I mean, the the owner situation is all chaos. There's just chaos everywhere in that organization at the moment. Um, from what from what you can tell on the outside. I mean, the reason that this is even possibility is that it, supposedly the Hawks and the um, who else is who's two and the the Kings, the Kings, Kings, Kings at two and the Hawks at three are both saying um, it le- leaked out kind of that they won't take Doncic and they want to take one of the other guys. So that there, that's why Memphis at four is the is the place to to do that. As a, we, I think we saw that we you don't make that trade until during the draft because well, one I think you can't I think you can't trade. Any time before then, since the year's over. No, you can. Remember the um, the Boston Philly trade happened before the oh, draft yeah. last year. You can't do it the day um, before. You can't do it. But the, yeah, there is a time when it stops. So you, you do it. You do it after number three is picked when you know Doncic is still on the board because uh, he's the one that would fall. Um, so. But here, here's the thing. Uh, first of all, I don't I don't buy that Sacramento and Atlanta are going to pass on Doncic. Um, I, I, this, you know, if there's one thing we know this time of year is not to believe anything. Uh, so I feel like it's more than likely a smokescreen. Who knows? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, maybe they don't, but I would actually possibly take Doncic one and take whichever big is available at four. Um, granted, I'd probably be willing to throw a little bit more in if I knew Doncic was the guy at four. And in that case, I agree. You obviously couldn't make the, if you are, Locked into taking Aiton at one, um, I would not do this deal until you know Doncic is available at four. But um, I would, yeah, I would consider doing it inverted. 
It certainly looks, I was kind of saying the same thing, it looks like they're taking H&M 1, if you saw that, I mean, obviously you did, but for listeners, if you saw that h and presser that the Suns did for his pre-draft workout, it seems like they're taking H&M 1. Um, so, but like I agree with you, like, H, the difference between H and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Bagley and whoever else, I mean, and Bamba, it's like, there's probably a difference there, but there's not much difference. How much better is Doncic than any of the other wings or guards in this draft? It's crazy. And I actually like the Doncic Bomba fit. That's what you I know, guess. if you're, mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, uh, Aiton, Aiton's gonna obviously put up better counting stats than Bomba. And if I was just looking for a pure sidekick to uh, to Booker, I, you know, there's certainly a case to be said you'd rather have Aiton over Bomba. But if you're gonna build this team with uh, with Doncic and and Booker, I want that elite shot blocker to erase everything. Whereas I don't need a player to create as much offense as I would expect Aiton to be able to do. So I just love the Doncic Bomba fit, and that's kind of what I would go for, or Jackson, really, um, kind of whichever of those three guys. And then if somehow Aiton slips to four, um, then I would still obviously be more than happy to take him there at that point. I guess what we're kind of, we're, I think what listeners, what we're saying is that if there wasn't a Bomba and a Jackson or Bagley around here, then we probably wouldn't be doing this because the high level of those players to work with whoever else you pick is worth it. But if you don't have the ability to do that, then it's like, why even bother? But this is the perfect draft to do exactly what they can do. And we saw it kind of work in the Bender Chris. I mean, they moved up from, what was it, 16 and whatever? Uh, uh, 13 to 8. Yeah, 13 to 8. Um, and they didn't really throw that much in. <laughs> and it seems like they may have even gotten the better part of that deal-ish. Yeah, until until Bogdan was as good as he is. Yeah, Bogdan's pretty good. But, but we, <laughs> a lot of us at Sun's Twitter kind of knew that from overseas. We were like, oh, yeah, he's pretty good. But he wouldn't come over for years, so it was kind of right. frustrating. Um, so what, let's, let's, let's ignore this. Uh, we think this, we kind of explained what we're, we would do if we had this. Um, and how that would work. But what, let's just pretend that it doesn't happen. Um, what are some things you would want the Suns to do if they don't trade up? Uh, I mean, you know what? I don't know. I, all along, I haven't thought the trade up to four was realistic, but I would try to get into that eight range. Um, I would love to get my hands on Trey Young. Um, yes. Um, I mean, I know the defense would be a little bit iffy at that point if you're having a the Booker Young backcourt and with Aiton as your center, but I think it would just be so fun offensively. It would be kind of like a um, Desert Splash Brothers would would have to come up with some great nickname for them. And just when you look at what the Warriors can do with their shooting, I think the Suns could do something similar offensively if if those two guys are your guards. So um, I. Trey Young is a guy who I'm very much interested in and beyond the shooting just his playmaking and his passing I think was really impressive I saw that he's put on a lot of strength um, working out these last few months since his college season ended so hopefully he's a little bit better defensively than he was and he won't have all the responsibilities so uh, Trey Young would be the guy who I would be targeting to move up to yeah I'm uh, I'm not quite there I I just the reason that the Warriors work is because Draymond's there and Clay can play defense. Booker sure. can't play defense that Clay can play. I mean, as I've also noted to people when I'm watching games, Booker is already like so much of a better playmaker than than Clay Thompson ever is or ever could be, kind of. But obviously, Booker is not as good defense. But Clay is also older and and but they're about the same size. So I don't. I'm not on the Trey Trey on in that sense. I just if with if Aiton if if your only if your best defender is Jackson. And then Bender a little bit, then a huge drop off. I don't know if if it's if it's Asian Bender, Jackson Booker, Trey Young. I'm not, I'm not there, but I'm I'm more of the take 16, take 31, take Chris, take Warren, and draft or trade for some some uh, free or get some free agents in there, trade for some more veterans because if you have Booker, I mean even Booker Jackson and and the number one is a lot of people to to really develop the right way. I mean we saw it with Utah Jazz this year. When you have one person to develop, really, I mean, they got some other people develop. I think Royce, uh, Royce O'Neal and other people. But if you only have Donovan Mitchell and you have a team of veterans, you can do well and that person will get better. When you only have young players, it's very hard to get them better fast enough to keep them. And then, I mean, Booker's going to sign the $157 million extension before the beginning of the season. 
So mm-hmm. it's, you have to, but I mean, that only secures him for f- four years. So you have to keep him happy and everybody else and get good. Like I said, I'd even do a Kevin Love trade just to get the team good. Um, I mean, what would it take to get Kevin Love? I was writing about that. And you saw the thing. What do you think about it? Any Kevin yeah, Love I don't know. Um, I don't know if he's an ideal fit. I mean, offensively he would be, but I'm, I'm not really keen on getting more power forwards. You know, I would either want wings. I mean, the team obviously badly needs a point guard. Uh, I guess power forward's kind of the one spot, um, especially a guy like Love. We see, um, we see how defensively he can be neutralized in the playoffs and almost kind of an albatross. So, um, I get, sure. No, that, that would be great. But to me, it's still the whole point of the timeline is the long game and that, I mean, they're, they're probably, probably not going to make the playoffs next year. Um, unless they really have a insane off season. But to me, it's, it's not win now time. Your core is still 20 to 22 years old, you know? So yes, we all, we want to see progress and a playoff appearance would be great. But, um, I am looking at future pieces and don't really care about a Kevin Love type, a Kemba Walker type. So I get, I guess we kind of both agree that you want to, consolidate assets the 16 the 31 possibly chris um possibly warren but um i'm okay with getting one more young guy in fact would prefer getting one more young guy or getting a young ish you know a 23 24 25 year old type player more so than a veteran i mean like kemba walker that guy's about to get paid you know um i just don't see the point um, I mean, if, if you acquire him, you basically have to give him a huge extension or else it's completely not worth it. And I don't know if that's the guy who I want to be paying. Yeah, I was talking more about the stuff I wrote in the article about the, uh, the pieces around Booker and that, like, and Marcus Smart, Danny Green. Yeah. Athlete, people who you can bring in who have played in the league, who have played in the playoffs, who can bring a grit, shooting, defense, veteran savvy to a team so that I mean, I always mention Isaiah Thomas, when he left Phoenix, it was obviously a weird thing, but he had the perfect situation in Boston. If he does not have that situation in Boston, he is not that good. He had the perfect roster to optimize what he is, and just the fact that he was, I mean, that's what you need to do around Booker and Jackson in this core, is have the perfect set of people to, to optimize them, and bring in Marcus Smart to be your backup point guard, something like that play him, Booker, and Jackson together sometimes. Like, things like that are things I need to think about. Danny Green would be perfect. Yeah, Danny Green would be great. But, again, what's the cost and how many years? And, you know, I am all. I would rather wait for the big fish, you know, wh- whether that's this year, whether that's next year, um, when, when you get Chandler and Dudley off the books, then um, get a mid-tier type of guy. What do you but think? I, Keep going. Oh, but I certainly see your point. I certainly see why you would want that type of guy and the kind of edge someone like Marcus Smart would give you. It would be nice if you could shoot, though. Yeah. That it's not one shot in the playoffs at the right time, but like consistently it would be good. Um, what do you think about the, I mean, Kawhi? <laughs> Um, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to be signing a five-year, $219 million extension with the Spurs. Uh, once he can in mid July and we won't have to talk about this anymore. But, uh, for now, you know, obviously that's the hot name. And if things do go sour with the Spurs, that'll be by far the number one trade target. I mean, the, the guy's probably a top five player, certainly not much behind that if he's not w- when he's healthy, if he's healthy. So, um, I mean, and, and today's NBA just, such an ideal player since he's so good on both. I mean, probably one of the best players in the league defensively, especially at the wing position can guard so many different types of players. And then offensively too, he can kind of carry your team. So um, again, I, I don't think any kind of Kyrie trade is realistic. I think the Spurs would ask for such an absurd amount because so many, any team would be interested in him. And I just, and it would just be, too big of a flight risk 
since you're not going to sign him to an extension and you're going to have to sweat out next year. So I would rather have that possibility of a max cap slot open and hope that your team's shows enough promise this year that he'd want to come in a year if he doesn't sign the max deal with the Spurs. But honestly, I think he's going to be signing that super max. Yeah, I think he's going to sign it too. But I mean, so you saying you don't trade for him, even if he is available, but wait for free agency? I, I don't know how you can. I mean, it's just too much. You're, you have to, unless he tells you, I will be resigning with you or perhaps opts into his, his player option, which financially he shouldn't do. So I, I don't know why he would really. Um, it's, it's just too much. Cause I, I mean, when you think of, you're talking about probably trading that number one pick or Jackson, um, plus a bunch of other stuff. So, um, he's the right player. But um, unless you had those assurances, it would be it would be tough to do it. And you know, he's obviously not said anything about wanting to come to Phoenix. Oh, he hasn't he hasn't said anything. But there haven't been any reports, anything linking him here. So I just think it would be too big of a risk for what you'd have to give up. Although, which is part of the reason. Hey, let's look back at that Kyrie trade real quickly, which I was adamantly against the whole time. Now we're one year later, he's one year from free agency, and the Celtics are going to have to sweat this thing out next year. So um, I wanted no part of that. Obviously, Suns and Celtics were at completely different points um, of their processes, so to speak. But, you know, I, I just I just can't trade what it would cost to acquire Kawhi Leonard for um, a guy who is very much so a flight risk. Yeah, I, w- I was never a Kyrie Irving guy anyway. I think he's, to me, he's overrated. Someone said he was the second best player in the NBA. I was like, please. Um, he's good. <laughs> he's maybe nine, but he's not the second best player. Um, so what do you think about maybe, I mean, obviously Paul George is going to LA, um, almost certainly. He's, he's one of my favorite players. I- or, or, or Oklahoma City. I mean, Mark Stein had the report that, um, Oklahoma City's still the favorites. But yeah, I think we can agree it's going to be one of those two teams. Yeah, so you just got to kind of see what you can get. Are you? So let's talk about Mark Bender and Chris. Yeah. Um, kind of like I've always, I think, I think you have too. Always been more of a more of a Bender guy than a Chris guy. But let's, let's yep. talk about them. They played is it? They played two years now. Um, what do you what do you think of them right now? Yeah, I mean, I. I, to me, I almost will forgive anything that happened in the first two years when you think about A, how they were two of the youngest players in their draft. When you think about the coaching, when you think about how terrible these teams are, um, and you think about how young they still are. So, um, I give them kind of a blank slate and then this is the year that it's kind of prove it or, you know, or this, there might not be a contract extension after this. Um, but I think that Bender's a perfect fit for uh, Igor Kakashkov, and I'm really excited to see if he um, is able to develop into being more than kind of a a spacer, a catch-and-shoot guy, which is essentially all he was offensively. But I think we've seen those glimpses of, of what he can do playmaking, uh, what he can do as a versatile defender that I'm still really excited about him. And then Chris, you know, like the block against Atlanta, uh, some of those dunks, the fact that while he didn't shoot the three well, um, in theory, that seems like something he could be able to do. They both seem like guys who could be really good big men for this era. So with how young they are, I'm not willing to give up on either of them. Um, Granted, unless there's a blockbuster trade that they can help bring in an even more elite prospect. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I agree. Do you think either one of them is better suited for the five than the four? Um, I mean, honestly, I think they're both kind of fives in the new NBA. Um, I mean, my big thing is that positions don't matter anymore and that that's not how we should be thinking. We should be thinking in terms of skills and I would be happy with either of them playing the traditional center role. Granted, they both need to get a lot stronger, and uh, Bender obviously hasn't shown much ability to do that, especially defensively um, and rebounding-wise, for that matter. But I think both of those are guys who you would want to be your lone big man um, down the road, ideally. 
Yeah, it's really about what can you guard. Obviously, they both have the ability to move laterally, but it's really like, can, like, if you have Nurkic or somebody, are you just going to get destroyed for 45 points? Right. Like, as long as you yeah. don't do that, you're, you're okay. If you only lose 25 points to a, a Nurkic or something, then fine. You're, you're, you're going to win all the other matchups when it's not an elite center. But if Demarcus Cousins or Anthony Davis or someone can destroy you on the yeah. block every single possession, then you're not a five. You can't, so yes, I agree, right. you're not a five, but if you can't defend elite fives, even passably, then it's, I just, they can't play. And honestly, if Port, I know that's just one example, but if Portland's going to Nurkic all day, I'll live with that, you know? But, but the, the New Orleans guys, right, that's a problem. Cause, and we saw that last year when they played, the Suns couldn't stop either one of those guys, Davis in particular. Even the one uh, that Davis was, uh, Cousins was out. Anthony right. Davis had what, did whatever he wanted. Whatever he wanted, yeah. No, you need to be better than that. No question about that. What do you think about, um, kind of these fringe guys? Like, Alan Williams had him on the podcast a while ago before he's, he's back. I don't know if you listened to Nate Duncan and Danny LaRose podcast and talking about him and other players. Like, I think Ulysses is, is quote unquote out. We saw, I think Shaq Harrison's a better point guard than he is. Um, or at least delivers more of what the Suns will need. Um, Williams, Troy Daniels, what do you think about these fringe guys at the moment? Yeah, I, th- I love Williams. Um, I think he could be the perfect backup center. Hopefully has the girth to battle some of these bigger guys. Obviously he's, he's somewhat short and his, he produces, you know, unlike, <laughs> unlike Bender and Chris at times, you, you put Williams in there and, um, especially two years ago at the end of the year when he was so good and he produced. Um, I agree with you about Shaq Harrison that he would fit a, especially a Doncic type of team to be that lockdown point guard. Um, I still like Ulis. Um, I wonder if he really was injured for that first part of last year. And I think uh, once again, the last couple of months, he showed he could be a really good backup point guard in this league. Um, I mean, Alec Peters, kind of too early to tell, but you love the shooting stroke uh, from someone with that size. So I think there's going to be some really interesting training camp battles because they're not going to be able to keep all of those guys. Um, even, you know, Big Sauce's contract is interesting in that it's essentially team options for this year and next year. So if they do start chasing somebody in free agency, he might unfortunately be that cap casualty, which you just feel terrible about since he didn't even really get a chance to prove himself last year with the injury. And I really want him on the team for like the next decade, like really badly. Um, just cause he's so fun and he makes the whole team more fun. Um, to have him around, and he just can, he can rebound, he can defend pretty well, and he can shoot that floater all day long. And, you know, that's an interesting thing with Ulyss, too. Um, you know, obviously, Booker's going to sign the extension, but you do wonder um, how he would feel when, inevitably, the Suns don't bring back his guy, whether that's this year, next year, uh, when his contract's up, you know, there's going to be a come a time when Booker's on the team and Ulysses isn't. So just, uh, you know, a little thing to think about that you don't, you don't really want to piss him off per se. That certainly this offseason gives Ulysses a leg up. I totally agree. I think, I think that's, I think you said this season is key. It's like because he's Booker's best friend, he gets a longer leash maybe. Um, yeah. Than someone who wasn't, um, quote unquote related to him at all. Um, but like, I think this is definitely a different circumstance from the Morris twins because oh, yeah. Booker is so much better than Ulysses that it's not sure. even funny. And that, I mean, I, Ulysses, he does, he had a lot of good things, he does some things well, but unless he can be Isaiah Thomas's level of intensity, shooting, and strength, he's just not going to make it as a rotation player. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Booker a little bit more. I want to, I, mean, I don't know if you've heard some of the podcast, we're, we're having yeah. too much into it, but it's, um, I've gone back and forth with people on whether he, he is or could be the best player on a championship team or the second best player on a championship team. What are your thoughts? You know, all along I've said second best, but last year started to change me. Um, that Philadelphia game in particular at Philly when he just went off and was hitting all sorts of crazy shots in Joel Embiid's face made me think, hmm, I don't know, 
maybe he really could. The playmaking in particular that he developed last year uh, made me think that he potentially could be. But, I mean, I, I don't think any team – I mean, even LeBron James can't win titles on his own. You know, we're, he could be the best team, best player, but there would need to be another player pretty much as good as he is, um, a, you know, a 1B to his 1A, so to speak. So um, I could see him getting – being um, top 10 player in the league one day. Maybe even top five, um, if he really develops. He, he really is a Kobe facsimile in a sense. Um, yeah. In a lot of ways, I, I noticed that a lot. Um, I think David Pick in the, the one you had said for the Luka Doncic, um, podcast from Israel, uh, he had mentioned, I mean, when I mentioned the 25, 5 and 5, um, yeah. average and how he's the only one last year who did that that wasn't all-star, the nine others were all-stars. I mean, people say Tyreek Evans did the same thing as a rookie of the year. Um, and I'm like, I just don't see, I don't, I mean, I don't, he's, well, that was, that was 20. Tyreek was 25 and 5. 25 and 5. Okay, well, he's even, yeah, Booker's better than that. So Booker's even better than that. He just shows, if you watch the games, I mean, you see, you listen to some of these people who don't watch the games, and they kind of just know about him, know who he is, see him on the national games, when somehow they only show us against Houston. Uh, Like, good barometer there. Great. Great vision of where the Suns are at the moment, but I think he just shows leadership. His uh, just, there's there's something special about him that people don't get us who don't watch him often enough don't get to see. Uh, what do you think about his defense, or if it's passable? Where I, I say he's slightly below average right now, and that's as good as he needs to be. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Um, but I think most young players are bad at defense, you know. So um. You would hope that especially once he doesn't have quite as much offensive responsibility as he continues to learn the game better and get older, that he will become a better team defender. Um, I don't know if physically he'll ever be a lockdown guy. Probably not. But um, I think if he can just move up to being average or slightly above average, that's all you need. And then what do you think about uh, Jackson right now? Because I think, I think he has the potential to be defensive player of the year. Yeah, I mean, he's got all the tools. Um, again, rookies are generally bad at defense, and um, he's sort of underwhelmed. But, yeah, you see the tools, especially the way he can pick people's pockets, all the steals that he gets. Um, I think the big question, especially if they do find a way to get Doncic, is, and even if he, if they don't really, is how well he can guard point guards. Because if he can become a guy who can guard one through three in small ball, which everyone seems to play, one through four, um, he can be that perfect, versatile defender. But he just wasn't a shutdown guy in his first year. So I'm certainly willing to forgive that because you do see all the tools being there, all the athleticism, all the quickness, and um, his his steals were really encouraging. You even saw good instincts and timing from him at times. Oh, yeah. But really the thing that really blows away as a, as a prospect is the fact of his playmaking his vision, and the fact that his shot was smoother than it, like, it's already smoother than so many people's that I, I mean, he's, he's a rookie, he was supposed to not be able to shoot at all. He, he could shoot. Yeah, and I mean, he kind of, down the stretch, when he was the only guy playing, he took over as that number one option offensively, and obviously the efficiency wasn't always there, but that was really encouraging to me, especially seeing how bad he was offensively the first couple months of the year, and then after January, um, how he was able to be one of the top scorers on the team, especially when Booker and Warren were gone and defenses were kind of focused on him. I mean, not to be hyperbolic, but I mean, he's a better shooter than Draymond is, right? He, yeah, well, yeah, I'd say overall. Um, J- Draymond seems to be just streaky to me. Yeah, like he, he just, streaky. he just, um, he'll have times when he has no confidence in his shot and other times when he's, when he's draining it. But yeah, only good yeah, in the clutch. It, yeah, pretty much. Um, so that's there. Um, what do you think about the coach and how they how that went, Igor Koshikov, and how how they selected him and the whole process of uh, Fitz Fizdale and uh, who else turned? Oh, and um, Budenholzer. Budenholzer turning him down. What do you think about the whole how that all went? You know, I think it actually turned out perfectly. I think Kokoshkov was an ideal candidate. Um, I mean, I was on the Budenholzer bandwagon. How couldn't you be? He's an incredible coach, but. Um, I just love that Kakashkov is somebody 
familiar yet also somebody different um, with uh, a, a different philosophy, kind of a different background than a lot of NBA coaches than your than your general retread. So I love that they interviewed so many guys and really got to see what a lot of different coaches thought of their franchise. They went after the big fish. Um, you know, we don't know exactly why Budenholzer didn't work out, but I respect the fact that it didn't. And they, they got a coach who really wants to be here, who's going to be perfect with the young roster and is going to run a, a modern offense, which is something you haven't been able to say in the past. So, That'd be nice. um, yeah, I think it, everything, the, the whole process turned out pretty, pretty perfectly. Let's um, loop back to the whole Doncic agent thing. I forgot to really yeah. hone in on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, you had heard, and for those listeners who haven't, I was on, I had uh, David Picka, who lives in Israel, who's covered Luka Doncic for three years, knows his whole family and stuff. Um, so we were talking, okay, let's ignore the fact that we they, they may uh, trade up for number four and stuff. Why, I mean, I was team Doncic for so long, and it's still he excites me more than Aiton or anybody else does in terms of what he can bring. What did you think of the podcast? Kind of what, what were your takeaways from him and, and what you think about Doncic now? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, when you look at where the NBA is going with the pace and space, uh, the fact that this guy is such absurdly good playmaking and passing skills, and although his numbers don't always show it, looks like he's someone who's going to be a knockdown shooter. That's Andy six foot eight, and he is one at, at every level. I mean, he, playing against men, he's uh, won every MVP, EuroLeague MVP, EuroLeague Final Four MVP. He was an All-Star 5 in leading Slovenia to the Eurobasket title. Um, this is a, a guy who I have no doubt is going to be a star in the NBA. Yeah, for me, it's, it's really it's the passion, because he seems like just a winner. Like, Aiton could be, but he doesn't have, it doesn't feel like he has the same drive. Obviously, he's going to probably have a good work ethic, but we're talking about, like, the will to win. Plus, imagine him shooting. Like, if, if he's the second best shooter, Booker's the best shooter, then Jackson's just going to get to the hole whenever he wants to. Then you're going to do whatever he wants to, because everybody's going to be so open. They won't have a bad offensive possession in 10 years if they bring him in. Yeah. I mean, Jackson can guard the best person. Booker can guard the second best wing defender, and, Doncic can go the third. Like you can hide any of them. I mean, as long as Jackson's good, you're going to be fine on the defensive end, especially if you're being in Bender or Capella. It'd be great to get Capella. <laughs> yeah. If, if LeBron goes to Houston, I'm pretty sure they can't offer Capella what he needs. The Suns can. So as long as they uh, move off some contracts, maybe. Um, so there's something to look for there. I just love the, the shooting, the playmaking, um, and the will to win. So and so. If, but if they take Aiton, what do you think happens if they just take Aiton? Um, I mean, obviously you'll need a point guard at some point. Um, like I said, I would try to trade up for um, for Trey Young or maybe even Kentucky's guard um, uh, Shy Gilgis. So, um, or or like you said, maybe you try to go after a veteran. Um, I would want it to be a, a young veteran, a guy on a, a rookie contract to. Maybe a team has fallen out of favor with, with this team. Like last year, for example, like trade for a D'Angelo type. Um, but because that, that would be the one again, as much as I hate positions, you do kind of need a, a point card or at least a co-lead ball handler, uh, with Booker. So, I mean, that, that would be the other gaping hole to fill. But it's really about the defense. So what do you think about my idea I wrote about in that article about Avery Bradley? Yeah, I was I was just thinking about that. You know, I don't know. Um, I, I like him a lot. I think he's really good, although he does seem to be always injured. But, um, you know, I just worry about not having enough shot creation and having to force too much of that on Booker. And I think it was great that we were able to see um, – Booker kind of handled the point guard role a lot and really expand his skill set. But I think long-term you want him running around those screens and being the, then the secondary creator um, with along with another guy. So I think that defensively it would be pretty good, um, especially to have him and Jackson together. But um, I don't know, especially for whatever it's going to cost. I would certainly do it for one year. 
uh, see how it works, but I wouldn't want to do a long-term big money deal with him. Yeah, I don't even know because of how bad, uh, quote unquote, bad he was from with um, Detroit or the Clippers. Clippers, yeah, Clippers. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's gonna get like a huge money deal, but I think that having him just makes me so much more like safe on the defensive end. <laughs> like, oh yeah. If it's Agent Bender, Jackson, Booker, uh, Bradley, it's like not a bad defensive unit, especially in two or three years. Um, and I think they just they can. There's enough play. If he did, if he wasn't a playmaker at all, if he was just a, like a defensive guy, I wouldn't be okay with it. But I think he can handle and shoot enough where he can be. And Booker, that's if you think Booker is the hardened type. I'm really a two, but I'm going to play point guard so much, handle the ball, and have a high usage rate. So that's what I think that is possible. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's certainly an option to consider. Um, as we know, there's not really a lot of good free agent point guards out there um, with Chris Paul, you know, being the biggest domino who isn't coming here. Um, but, you know, after him, you, you've got Isaiah Thomas, who also isn't really a fit here. And you go on down the line. That's why it kind of made sense to trade for Alfred Payton, because he was kind of the cream of the crop of restricted free agent point guards. And I think we can agree that uh, we learned that we don't want him coming back here. <laughs> I think I think that's the the point though is that you can't have him or Brandon Knight be the starting point guard. Like, are you on the same page with me as Brandon Knight last year? When no, I don't know. I don't know if I'm on the oh, same page as that. I I'd be okay with him starting. I mean, it's obviously um, you don't want him as your long term guy, but um, you know, you wonder if the year off, unfortunately, because of the ACL injury has changed his mentality of sorts. Like, you felt like before, um, he felt like he was getting passed over by Booker, and now he kind of enters a new situation. I- I'd be okay with him starting, if that's what it came down to. If there, um, he couldn't make anything happen, I'd be okay with it. But, like, and I, he's a nice guy, and he's a sh- good player, and he's a good shooter, but his decision-making, when he played that full year last year, not in 2016-17, sure. were just... I couldn't believe in how many games... No question. He had a terrible... He had a bad year, especially yeah. defensively, but... He's the only on both sides. I understand his decision making. I was like, "How many games did you lose?" Yeah, um, but he's a good player and a good. So that's so it's not like definitely not. But you're hoping that you can get Doncic. Are you? I wrote about this and I, I, it was kind of a throwaway thing. Is there? Any, do you have any interest in a Kyle Lowry, Lillard, John Wall to the huge deal, or is that just like out of the question? No way. No, I have almost no interest. I mean, obviously it depends on the deal, but when you look, I mean, pretty much no interest in John Wall when you look at his contract, no interest in uh, Lowry either. I think Lillard is so good that depending on what the deal was, I, you know, you'd have to at least consider it. But, um, and with, with how young he is and, um, his contract not being quite as bad as the other guys. Um, or at least for the quality of player that he is, I would consider that one. But, um, you know, what are you sending back? It would still, it would have to be a godfather offer. So I don't know. I think I would rather pass on all of those guys. Yeah, I'm definitely a Lowry guy and a Lillard guy. Um, but is, is it to you? Is it like, I, I love just so good. But La- La- Lowry's not putting you over the hump, you know, and he's already sort of past his prime. He's making thirty million a year. Lillard, at least, is still um, nearing his prime or in his prime, so that that's why I'm more okay with him. And John Wall's contract is such a dumpster fire that I wouldn't go near it. Um, believe it's one seventy over four years once the once the extension kicks in, which isn't gonna happen for another year or two. So I, I think I guess one more year after this one. Um, so I want no part of that. So when you when you think about it that way, it's you know those two guys are non-starters for me. Lillard, I would consider if. Is it more about the money on the books after you get him, or what you have to yes. give away for it? More about the money in the books. I mean, the John Wall contract I think is going to be one of the worst in the league, just because it's that tough. It's the, it's the golden shackles type of thing where uh, now that you're paying the guy that much, you almost can't. He's not good enough that you can build a roster around him when he's being paid that. Whereas LeBron James, Kevin Durant, maybe Stephen Curry, they're good enough that you can pay them that much money and still 
uh, build a good team around them. Um, but with John Wall, you're paying him like he's that guy when he's not that guy. So in a vacuum, of course, John Wall would be incredible. If he was making $30 million a year, I would love him. But when you're talking about over $40 million a year, I just can't do it. I think we have a different, slightly different philosophy here with the timeline and such. To me, like bringing in these Kevin Love, Lillard, whatever players, like I was writing about this a while ago. It's just like the the 2014 Spurs. So they had, I mean, there's obviously this difference that the crazy team with Kawhi, who was just so young, they never had any players in that that were in their prime, really, on that team. Parker, Ginobili, and Duncan were all over it, and Kawhi was not even close to his prime. So. In one sense, I'm, I'm thinking of it as the way that free agents are brought to a team, just like I wrote in that article that we're talking about. Um, the Sixers, they were not a LeBron destination until after this year when the core guys could be seen and there was a building and a, and a culture around that was showed winning. Now he's like one of the top three destinations LeBron could go to. So in one sense, you bring in players. Obviously, we're not we're, we're excluding these like John Wall huge contracts that, that make it hard to make that team. I don't think there's a bad thing about bringing in really good, high-paid veterans because unless unless like you really have to like offload good young players because you can go into tax, you can do things to get these good players that will make you a good team for a while and then do stuff around the fringe for a couple of years until your people are in the in the prime. Then you do the big stuff offload. I think you can deal with that when it comes not keeping everything clean now. You need to be good now, or at least at, by the end of this next year. Yeah, we do, we do disagree on this because there's an opportunity cost to any move. And you look at some of these teams. At, I mean, you, you look at the three teams that you mentioned in particular. Toronto's locked into this roster. It's a good roster, but it's not good enough. Portland is locked into this roster. It's also a good roster, but it's also not getting past the second round. Washington is locked into its roster. And Washington is also a good team, but not good enough. And the only move that they can make is by trading some of their high-priced guys for somebody else's high-priced guys or just offload them and be worse and have it be, okay, we're bringing back Washington. We're just losing Otto Porter. You know, the, there's not a, there's not the next move for any of those three teams. Those three teams, it's not the treadmill of mediocrity that the Suns used to be on for a handful of years earlier this decade. It's more the treadmill of good, but not good enough, I would say. And that's what I would want to avoid as the Suns. I want to skip that and go right to being a contender at some point. And granted, probably years away from that. And for all we know, the best the Suns will ever get to is being a Toronto or a Portland type who is one of the better teams in its conference, but you know from the start isn't going to really be good enough to to win the title. So for me, the opportunity cost, again, if it's if it's what Philly did last year and they signed J.J. Redick, who is a perfect fit for them, and who helped them get to a level where they could make the second round of the playoffs and if things had gone right, maybe they could have gotten to the conference finals and now they still have $25 million in cap space because they don't have to bring them back. That's great. But if you're going to get a guy like Kyle Lowry who has um, just signed a three-year $90 million deal, uh, dollar deal a year ago and you still have that for two years on your books, I, I wouldn't be okay with that. So yeah, I guess I guess I'm more talking about the the Kevin Love part where you bring in someone because you have to be good, otherwise people will not come. They, they, they need yeah, to, but yeah, they need to think that they're the missing piece, otherwise. But to me, Kevin Love isn't going to move the needle. What's going to move the needle is Devin Booker turning into a top ten, fifteen player, and then the rest of DeAndre Ayton showing that. He's a future star or Luka Doncic, whoever it may be. And Josh Jackson taking that next step and somebody saying, like JJ Reddick did, I mean, I know he's not the example you want, but, um, just with Philly, hey, this is a good young up and coming team. I want to be with these guys. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard and, um, and we'll see. And I, I get it with where the eight years without making the playoffs, uh, third longest drought in the league, I believe, maybe, or second now, now that Minnesota got off the schneid. Um, you could see the impatience setting in, but I think it's, 
it's time to say, hey, the Suns have something really good going, and in a couple of years, they, they might be that destination team, and I want to be in a spot where they can add the max guy or the near max guy at that point. The Kings are the first one, right? I think the Kings would be the, the Kings longest. are the longest. Yep. They're like, That's, they're, they're the, since Divock and Weber, right? Yeah, I think, I want to say they made it no 405, maybe a 506, some, somewhere in that range. Um, so yeah, I think we're actually closer in agreement than I think. Yeah. I think we just, in terms of, uh, what the Suns need to do in the timeline, I think it's, they need to bring in those Marcus Smarts, Danny Green players to make them respectably good, but that don't, I like the one year deal, but I like the, Bring them in low money to really help, but you're not bringing in stars. You're bringing in good, solid veteran role players, and they just have to do that. This is that's what I think that's what McDonald means by we're being aggressive now. We're not tanking. They're more mm-hmm. t- trying to be a respectably good team. That's what Kukoshkov's for. That's what the picks are. But I like the consolidation of assets for sure. Yeah, no question. That's that's huge, and it'll be interesting. Um, I mean, again, I'm more of a I'm more of a stars or nothing guy, and um, de- I mean, again, depending what they do in the draft um, and how much money they end up having, if they bring back Williams, etc., I would either go for some of the bigger fish, or I would just um, wait till next year when um, when some of the other guys, when when Chandler and Dudley are going to come off the books and try to have a lot of cap space. I I would not want the mid tier guys. I would want to wait till. It could be an over the top move. Um, and, you know, whether it's this year, whether it's next year. Now, that being said, if, if they can, if, if there is a, a move for a really, really not a star, I mean, a star would be great, but even just a really good player, you know, do it now. But I wouldn't necessarily be in a rush. I would hope to be more aggressive uh, with the draft trades. Yeah. What do you think about like a, if they go Doncic, like a Derek Favors or something like that? Yeah, he'd be he'd be great. Um I mean, like you you mentioned Capella would be perfect. Um you'll have to overpay for him a little bit. And Houston, uh I believe Houston will be matching pretty much no matter what because I do not see LeBron James as a realistic option for them. Um it favors, yeah, favors would be great, especially with the Kakashkov familiarity. Um but again, depending on the price. Jabari Parker? Yeah, um, he, you know, I, I don't know if his his skill set fits what the Suns need, but I guess depending on what happens in the draft, sir, and if they move Bender, Chris certainly would be an interesting one. Well, I think that's I think we covered pretty much everything there is to cover about the Suns. What about what do you think? Yeah, I think we did. Um, so definitely uh, check out your Twitter. Um, plug that again, and plug anything else you got going on. Yeah, just um, I work on the jump a lot these days, so. We're on uh, noon Pacific, three Eastern, every day on ESPN, and um, we've we've got some fun off-season stuff cooking. We're gonna have a five-hour draft show on ESPN two, while the main drafts on ESPN, where we'll really talk about the NBA side of things, um, all the NBA impacts of the draft. Very good, very good. Okay. My plug stuff now is uh, my Twitter is at Eric underscore Saar, S-A-A-R. Go check me out. Uh, also, if you're in Arizona and need any help with your basketball, shooting, anything like that, I have a business called Elite Hoops Development, EliteHoopsDevelopment.com. Go check that out. Thanks so much, Michael. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, we'll see you all later. Bye.